everybody. Thanks for joining us in our new Bible study starting at the end. My name is Brad Allis, and I'm Assistant Professor of Education at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Hopefully you picked up the outline for tonight. They're in the, uh, in the narthex there, so uh, everything that you're going to see on the screen is on the sheet there. There's nothing new to copy down unless you want to jot some notes. Uh, the good news is I just left our Grace Lutheran uh, Raiders. The girls are playing against uh, Emmanuel Brookfield, and I left at halftime. Our Grace girls are up 13 to 1. So we're very excited about them. The girls are 18 and 4 right now, and heading into the home stretch, and hopefully they'll get a bid to state. We'd be really excited about that. And so uh, if you hear a Yahoo! or a whoopee, all right, we probably got the final word in, and Kelly texted me what the uh, final score is. <laughs> excited, excited, you know, man, just like watching the Super Bowl, you know. As uh, we take a look at this, uh, we're going to take a look at four topics, and if you take a look on the board here, here's what we're going to examine over these four weeks. Tonight we're going to look at, starting at the end, the worldview of Islam and New Age and their vision for what humanity's future holds, right? Starting at the end, we're going to start at the end, what their objective is and what's happening today to make that objective a reality. Then next week, Monday, we'll look at Marxist and uh, secular humanist worldview regarding the future. So they've got a different vision of what our future holds. And again, there's people working today to enable that, to bring that about as a reality. So we'll look at that. Then the last two weeks, we'll focus on what God's word says. We'll listen to Jesus talk in Matthew 24 in our third week. He'll talk about end times. The disciples wanted to know about the destruction of Jerusalem's temple and his Christ's second coming. So Jesus talks about those things and we'll take a look at the future according to Jesus' own words. And then the final section, uh, the fourth week, week is eschatology, right? The study of the last things. So what happens when you die? What is judgment day like? What are the eternal states of heaven and hell like? So we'll spend most of our time, or at least half of the study, on those biblical perspectives on things, which is the truth. If you'd like to know more, right, this, is, this study is based on my second book, Starting at the End. So if you'd like to know more about what we're going to talk about regarding these four weeks, you can check out the book. I've brought copies here. They're $10, right? That's 10 American dollars, okay? Not Euro dollars, not pesos, right? Not Canadian dollars, right? If you're interested, uh, let me know, all right? Uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll take a look at starting at the end, Islam and New Age. Let's pray this, this evening. Father, we thank you for this time and the chance to gather together as brothers and sisters. We thank you for a chance to look at the future. Lord, you hold the future in your hand. You hold us in your hands as well. Lord, I thank you that uh, you've revealed what's going to take place. and We don't have to be afraid of anything. And Lord, I thank you in the midst of trials and tribulations that we know who you are, our creator, our redeemer, our sanctifier. Lord, you hold us and you're never going to let us go. We thank you for that promise in your word. Lord, I pray now that we'd understand the world in which we live that we'd understand various worldviews and their visions of what humanity's future holds. I pray that we could understand these things and be able to point people to Christ. We'd be able to point to, to him as our Lord and Savior and your inspired and errant words so people would know the truth and be saved. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you bind Satan and make this holy ground. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. 
So you've got your outline there, so we're going to do some introductory things about worldview, and then we'll get into Islam, and we'll get into New Age as well. So uh, when I talk about a worldview, by show of hands, how many of you have heard that term before, worldview? Yeah, so many of us have heard that term before, right? And so uh, just so we're all using the same language, what's a worldview? So you can take a look on the outline there. The worldview is, uh, by definition, truth claims that explain the world in reality. Truth claims that explain the world in reality. So all worldviews, and we're going to look at four of them in the first two weeks, Islam, New Age, Secular Humanism, and Marxism, they have claims that they make about this world and reality. There's components to it, and we're going to break those down in a minute. And then we're going to spend the last two weeks taking a look at a biblical worldview, the biblical truth claims about the world and reality. And what you're going to see is what we read in God's Word is what we see in this world. And so we got to understand uh, what people are believing, but also what, what God's Word says, all right? The analogy some people use is lenses. A worldview is, uh, are the lenses that people use. So Muslims wear a lens, and New Agers wear a lens, and Marxists wear a lens, and humanists wear a lens. Christians wear their worldview lenses as well. I like a different analogy. I like to use the analogy of a map. So you can see on the screen, there's a map of the Milwaukee area. And so when you've got a map, you can navigate around this area of the world. And these are the truth claims that explain the world. So the map will show roads, it'll show cities or little towns or whatever it is. And so you and I are walking around with mental maps. We, we, we each carry a mental map. We, everybody's got a worldview. And so one of the, the basics of talking to people, especially in a diverse culture like ours, is what's your mental map? What's your worldview? What do you believe, right? What do you believe about reality? What do you believe about ethics? What do you believe about this, that, and the other thing? So it's important to understand, all right? Uh, if I say, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. Raise your hand if you understand that cultural reference. A couple of you do, yes. Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer, all right? So uh, for, for those of you who don't know, there's an animated series called Dora the Explorer, and this little girl goes on adventures, and she always has a map, and the map helps her to know where to go, what to do, and so in one sense, we're all like Dora, we've all got our mental map, all right? and we navigate through life with it. And it's important to understand that sometimes we buy into assumptions, we buy into concepts from things we've heard uh, in the news, in classes, online, et cetera, et cetera. So it's important to understand everybody's got a mental map, all right? And this map is their worldview. Sometimes though there's a disconnect between the formal worldview claims and what a person actually believes, all right? And so for example, uh, George Barna, as he uh, polls uh, Christians, and this is years ago, he, he polled American Christian youth. So you, you're a Christian, and you're youth, right? And, and he wanted to find out some things that, that, that these Christian youth believe. And he found out that half believe that Jesus sinned. Okay, so these are Christian youth, and half believe that Jesus sinned. So a formal truth claims of Christianity would be, well, Jesus is sinless, and I can show you passages from Hebrews, right, that talk about this. 
Right? The whole concept of Jesus being our Savior, he couldn't be if he's a sinner too, right? He'd need a Savior. And yet kids formally claim to be Christian, yet personally, it's like they're not following the map of the Bible. They, 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 this is how they figure life out. Well, I sin, and Jesus was, was human too, so he sinned too, because everybody who's human sin. And so it's making up beliefs that may not be in accordance with, with what you'd find in a formal worldview of, for example, Christianity. But this cuts other ways as well, right? Uh, as the Pew Research Group uh, uh, polled Americans on what their beliefs were, he, they found 19% of atheists believed God existed. Now think about that for a minute. 19% of atheists, one out of five atheists believe God exists. Well, then you're not an atheist, <laughs> because an atheist says there's no God. So sometimes there's formal claims, and then personal worldviews, and sometimes these don't match up. And so you might have a hypocrite, someone who doesn't live what the beliefs of that uh, faith are. Or some people just don't have the doctrines of what that faith is, right? And so just understand, what's a worldview? Well, it's a mental map. It's a way people make sense of reality. If you think of a map, it covers an area. So the map I showed you was the map of, of the Milwaukee area. And the area we're going to focus on as we compare and contrast Islam and New Age and humanism and Marxism are these areas. Everybody starts with an assumption. Everybody starts with a concept of reality. Everybody starts with an ethical concept. And everybody's got answers to big questions, all right? What's it all about, Alfie? All right, everybody wants to know certain things, all right? What's life all about? Where did we come from? What's going to happen when we die? So these worldview maps offer answers, and so if they're not satisfactory, some people crumple that map up and look at something else. Well, maybe I'll try that religion, or maybe I'll try that worldview, that philosophy, whatever it is. So what we're going to do is compare and contrast these four worldviews over these first two weeks, and then the last two weeks we'll look at a biblical worldview of things, right? If you and I go to a mall and we want to navigate through a mall that we've never been to, sometimes you'll, you'll come into a mall entrance and there'll be a map, and if you look at the mall map, there's one thing you've got to find right away. You are here, exactly right. You've got to find on the map that star or dot that says you are here. And then from that spot, now you can navigate and you can make your way, you know, going straight forward and taking a left or right or whatever it is, right? And so all worldviews start somewhere. And the starting assumption in all worldviews is God is or God ain't. It's as simple as that. So what we're going to look at over these first two weeks are worldviews that have their starting assumption. And what we're going to see tonight in Islam, Islam teaches God exists. So they're theists. When we look at New Age later today, some people use the term cosmic humanism. They're pantheists. They believe that God exists, but everything is God. So when you listen this week to these two worldviews and their view of the future, they've got this spiritual component. One believes that there's a God up there called Allah. Another says, well, everything is God. The universe is God. It's essential to grasp the starting assumption. Now next week, when we hit Marxism and secular humanism, they start with the assumption, there's no God. 
There's no God. There's just no supernatural realm. There's no angels, no demons. There's no heaven and hell. There's just this world. There's this material world we live in. Now, obviously, that's a huge assumption. And what we need to do when we're talking with people is not quote scripture immediately. And this is the key word, immediately. In this day and age, with this diverse culture we live in, it would be wiser for us to ask questions of people. And then, as we're dialoguing, then bring Scripture to the table. Let God the Holy Spirit go to work. But first off, when someone says there's no God, a question to ask would be, how do you know? I mean, that's a huge assumption to make. There is no God. Well, how do you know? Do you know everything? There's no God? You've, You've searched high and low, you've been throughout the universe, and there's no God. So just to ask questions would be huge, and then you could bring Scripture to the table. Well, I believe in God, and here's why, and here's Scriptures to support it, et cetera, et cetera. So when we look at Marxism and secular humanism next week, they start with the assumption there's no God. So it's as simple as that. There's a theistic kind of a view or an atheistic kind of a view. The R in the acrostic for area is reality. Now let's go back to Christians and Muslims. We don't worship the same God. That's, that's one of the things that just frosts my cupcake. When I'm listening to people talk and they'll go, well, Muslims and Jews and Christians, you all worship the same God, you just call them by different names. No, that's factually incorrect. And so it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Muslim or Christian, anybody who knows their beliefs should say that's not true. We don't worship the same God. They're all monotheistic religions. They're all religions that believe that there's one deity, one God, but they don't worship the same God. There's different attributes, et cetera, et cetera. So that study in and of itself, comparing those three, three major religions, that would, that would be something in and of itself. But just to understand, if you bring in a Muslim and have them talk about reality, like a Christian, there'd be this common language. So one, assumption, there's God. We don't believe in the same God. Our God's triune, one God, three persons. They just believe in Allah. He's not three persons. So when it comes to reality then, they believe in a natural and a supernatural realm. So if you talk to a Muslim and say, so you believe in a natural and a supernatural realm? They'd say yes. So you've got common ground. You can talk a similar language. If you'd say, do you believe in angels and demons? They'd say, yes, we believe in angels and demons. So again, you've got a common ground. You don't worship the same God. You don't read the same book. They read the Quran. We'll talk about that in a minute. But at least there's this commonality. Now next week, when we're talking about Marxism and secular humanism, they believe that there's just a natural world. There is no supernatural, because there's no God, starting assumption of atheism. So what is the world? Well, the world's comprised of atoms and molecules. And we go, yeah, yeah, it is. And then when we talk about a supernatural realm, they go, there's no supernatural realm. There's just stuff. There's just atoms and molecules. That's it. So assumption, reality. Then E is ethics. All worldviews have got to tell you how to live. Now again, think about it. For Christians, we read God's inspired and errant word. And now we have moral absolutes. We've got universals that all people should follow. It doesn't matter when and where you live, this is how God wants us to live. Here's his desire for us, his will for us. And so, as we just finished the Super Bowl, when I'm teaching this at Concordia in the Teaching the Faith class or in the Foundations of Education class, we use the example of goalposts. When you're watching the game, you can tell when the kick is good 
and you can tell when the kick is no good. Same thing when you read God's Word. You know what's good, you know what's part of His will, and you know what's sin, what's no good, that's against God's will, that's outside His boundaries. So moral absolutes are something we would subscribe to when it comes to ethics, but we're going to see Muslims would say the same thing. They go, yeah, we don't read the Holy Bible, we read the Quran, and we know what Allah wants. We know His moral absolutes. And this is universal for all people. Next week, when we're into uh, uh, Marxism and secular humanism, we'll talk about moral relativism. Notice the starting assumption. There's no God. What's reality? Just a natural world. There's no supernatural. So when it comes to moral absolutes, there's not God who has said, thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's not Allah who has sent down a decree saying this is okay and this is not. So now, moral relativism says, we decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. And so as we gather here, and let's say there's 100 people in here, so we could all decide and, and banter about and say, what do you think? Should we drive on the left side of the road? Should we set the speed limit at 100 miles an hour? So we could vote on these things, or you know, I could just say, look, I got the microphone, and we're gonna do it this way. This, I'm gonna decree it to you, all right? But either way, we as a people, or one person is deciding, or maybe a group of people are deciding for us, this is how we're gonna live. But there's no God who's setting up the universals for everybody on the planet. So E is for ethics. Finally, answers. Everybody in their worldview has gotta answer questions that all humans wonder about. These are existential questions. These are questions of existence. These are questions that keep us up at night or they strike us when we're staring out at the vastness of space on a clear night. Where did we come from, origin? Why are we here, purpose? What's gonna happen when we die, destiny? Everybody wants to know that. Now there's other questions people have too. Why is there suffering in the world? What's the nature of humans? Are we good? Are we bad? Are we, are we just kind of neutral? It just depends? So these are things that everybody wonders about, and worldviews have to answer this, and that's why if the answers aren't satisfactory, if they don't make sense, that's why some people go, you know what, that, that map's no good. I'm going to try a different mental map. I'm going to try this belief system. I'm going to try that belief system. So as you're understanding the basics of a worldview, this area concept we'll use as we stare and compare and look at these four worldviews. So we're going to start off with Islam, all right? After 9-11, I don't know if you remember, remember after 9-11, Newsweek had a picture of some Muslim men and they had this uh, very aggressive look on their face and the question was, why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? And it's a great question to ask. And so what I've been always curious in my life is, is why do people act the way they do? What's motivating them? What's driving them? And what I found is if you start at the end, if you know what the objective is, if you know what the end game is, you'll understand what people are doing today. Now you can't stereotype and you can't say, well, every person who's Muslim or when we get to New Age, every New Ager believes the same thing or same thing with the, the next week. But overall, as a general concept, this is what the belief system is, right? And so that's what I write about in the book, and I try to explain it and, and quote from their sources to go, look, this is where they're coming from, right? So does every Muslim or New Ager this week believe exactly these things? Not necessarily, but in broad brushstrokes, here's the basics, right? 
So first off, what's the starting assumption? As I mentioned, Muslims are theists. So are Christians. We believe that God exists. So the Greek word theos, God, we're theists, they're theists. Allah is one. Allah is not triune. So anybody who goes, well, Christians and, and, and Muslims believe in the same God. No, we do not. We believe that God is one, but he's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you read the Quran, and I read it after 9-11, so again, I want to find out what in the world. So I knew about some passages in the Quran, but I read it after 9-11. By show of hands, has anyone read the Quran in here? All right, anybody read parts of it? Okay, all right. So again, you, you, can, you can find it uh, at a bookstore, you can read it online, you can get portions of it. So you can find out what in the world. But bottom line is, Allah exists, and he's not triune, and you're not saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is a prophet. He's not the Son of God. He's simply a prophet, but he's not the last prophet. Muhammad's the last prophet. And so Muhammad, let's just ballpark it, Muhammad 600 A.D., 600 AD. So think about it. It's 500 years after the book of Revelation is written. 500 years later, all right? So Old Testament, New Testament, that book, the Bible, has been around, and here it is 500 years later. What scholars believe is Muhammad, a camel driver, hears the Bible stories, Old Testament and New. And then what's taught is he an illiterate man was able to write the Quran. An illiterate man was able to write the Quran with the help of an angel. Now again, if you want to know more, I can give you more information so you can research it and the like. But long story short, here's this message he says he got, and he writes it. What's fascinating is, in this version of the Quran, if you open it up at the very beginning, there's a table of names, Arabic and English. And so, Arabic name Allah, English equivalent God. Arabic name Adam, English equivalent Adam. Not going too fast, right? And then there's Isa, Jesus. Musa, Moses. Uh, Suleiman, Solomon. And so on and so forth. When you read this, you'll find references to Bible people that you're familiar with. And what it sounds like is you've got like a rehashing of some things that you're familiar with from the Bible, because think about it, it was, it was around for 500 years, but now it's been revised. And what's fascinating is if you talk to Muslims and they talk about the Quran, they go, this is God's revelation, Allah's revelation. The Bible has been corrupted, but here's the, here's the, the, the catch. They never explain who corrupted it, and how it's corrupted. So when you say, well, Jesus in the Bible is, is God the Son of God. Here he's, he's a human and a prophet. They both can't be correct. One's right, one's wrong. You're wrong. Why? Because that book was corrupted. Well, who corrupted it? When? How? There's no answer. So again, you can make every accusation you want, but in the court of law, you've you got to prove it. Long story short, what's God? Not triune. He's Allah. Do you believe in a natural and a supernatural realm? Yes. If I say Barbara Eden, what's the show you think of? I Dream a Genie, right? Okay. Master, 
Major Healy, right? We're not gonna see her navel, all right? Remember, you can't see navels on television when I Dream a Genie comes out, right? So genies, if you watch Aladdin, right? You see Genie, you see him voiced by Robin Williams in the animated version, right? Then you see the new live action version and Will Smith plays the genie. What's fascinating is, for Muslims, there's angels and jinn, or genies. And so they're demons, they're not good. <laughs> so what's fascinating is, well, I dream a genie? Well, she was okay, right? And the genie in, in Aladdin, he's okay, but no, jinn are bad. And so this concept of the natural and the supernatural realm of the miraculous, Muslims go, yeah, this is what we believe in. So the Christian, again, can talk a similar language and you can understand we, we're on the same page, right? When it comes to morality, they also believe in the moral goalposts, if we want to use that, if you want to use a basketball hoop, all right, if you want to use a target, soccer goal, whatever it is, the idea of there are certain things that Allah wants, there are certain things Allah doesn't want. So all you got to do is read the Quran, and then you know this is what Allah desires, and this is what Allah doesn't. When you look at the ethics of Islam, there's five categories of law. There's laws that are non-negotiable. Everybody's got to follow them. They're the five pillars. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You've got to pray five times a day facing Mecca. You've got to give 2.5%, not 10%. You've got to give 2.5% of your income as offering or alms. You've got to fast during the holy month of Ramadan during daylight hours. And then, if you're able, make a pilgrimage to Mecca and Saudi Arabia. These are the five pillars of Islam. They're non-negotiable, that's what you gotta do. Then there's four other categories of laws. So there's laws, for example, that would be recommended. Do more prayers. If you do more than five prayers, you're gonna be blessed, all right? And if you do less, you're gonna suffer for that. So there's laws that are, that are recommended, right? There's laws that are out there that, that are indifferent, that the Quran doesn't speak to. In our Christianity, we, we talk about ideophora, things neither commanded nor forbidden. So they may have th certain things where they go, look, the Quran doesn't speak to that, you're free to do it, you're free not to, right? So there's other categories, and if you're interested, I'll give you more information. But long story short, there's this concept of there's moral absolutes. This is what you should do, this is what you should. Finally, when it comes to humanity's future, there's gonna come, ultimately, the world that it becomes a global Islamic state. Everyone's following Allah. Everyone's gonna be converted. And you're gonna convert by force, or you're gonna choose it. But bottom line is, you're gonna follow. That's what the vision is. Does every Muslim believe that? It's Allah's will. It will be accomplished, all right? It's gonna take place. Now, some use jihad, and we're gonna talk about that. Not every Muslim does. But some believe that it's, it's Allah's will, a sixth pillar, jihad, should be employed to bring about that global Islamic state. Eventually, at the end of the world, there's judgment day, and then there's the eternal states of heaven and hell. So, in a short answer to humanity's future, that's what it is. But that's what we want to flesh out a little bit more detail on the sheet here. I mentioned jihad. When you read the Quran, there are 109 war verses or jihad verses that justify what's going on. Uh, if you want the list of them, I can give them to you. Okay, I don't have them all uh, dog-eared or bookmarked. 
but I, I put one on the handout for us, and you'll see it on the screen here in a minute. But there's 108 other ones. There are people who study Islam who would say 85, 90% of Muslims do not live by those 109 verses. They simply bypass that, much like you and I might bypass something in the book of Numbers. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. And, well, we don't do that. We're not concerned about that. There are 10 to 15% of Muslims who would say, who are you to disregard what Allah has decreed? We are to follow those 109 verses, and some have followed them to the letter of the law. So don't stereotype, well, every Muslim's in the jihad. No, not at all. But let's do it like this. As far as popular religions on the planet, there's about 7 billion people. Over 2 billion are Christian, most popular religion on the planet. In second place, it's Islam. Some estimates 1.8 billion. Let's do it like this. Let's just take 10%. 10% of 1.8 billion is, I believe, 180 million. I'm allergic to math. I think that's correct. 180 million. So let's just take 10%. There's 180 million people on the planet who go, I got 109 verses that tell me from the Almighty Allah what I am to do to bring about His will and what humanity has. And so to understand that is huge. So you look at the news we cover. Why do they hate us? Here's your answer. Well, maybe it's something we've done. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. The United States is not perfect. There's no perfect nation on the planet. There's over 190 nations. We could all list their sins and their good points, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, you've got to understand people's mental maps. And when people go, well, it's our fault, you don't seem to understand what's driving people. You're not looking at their map. And so part of it is these 109 verses, all right? On the screen, if you can see, these are radical Muslims in London holding up signs. Behead those who insult Islam. Freedom, go to hell. Islam will dominate the world. If you've ever seen images from television broadcasts from the Middle East, it's fascinating to listen to the imams, the teachers, who are those in the radical camp saying, it is Allah's will. We will conquer the world. This is what he has decreed. Or if you look at textbooks in some of these Muslim countries, what they teach children. Listening to children recite jihadist poetry. And they're talking about going to their death. And this is what Allah wants. And so you're raising a generation to believe in this because one, it stemmed from this. Now here's a passage, one of the 109 war verses. A surah is a chapter in the Quran. So from surah five or chapter five in verse 33. If you read the Quran, the chapters are biggest at the beginning and they just get gradually smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and at the end they're just real short. Okay? And so when you read Surah 5, well, it's going to be a long chapter and there's verse 33. But if you keep reading on, well, the chapters get real short. Long story short, here's one of the verses. The punishment of those who wage war against Allah and his apostle, that's Muhammad, and strive to make mischief in the land is only this, that they should be murdered or crucified or their hands and their feet should be cut off on opposite sides or they should be imprisoned. This shall be as a disgrace for them in this world and in the hereafter they shall have a grievous chastisement. 
So we do that now, and then in the afterlife, in the eternal state, they're going to suffer too. What groups did, like ISIS, they took it literally. Well, we got 109 verses that tell us what to do. So all of a sudden you hear people being beheaded, crucified, burned, drowned. And so when I'm doing teaching the faith at, at, at Concordia, I tell kids, I'm going to show you photos now, and if you don't want to look, just close your eyes. I'll tell you what's on the screen. And when we're all done, I'll tell you open your eyes and you don't have to look at it. But this is reality. This is what's going on. I don't have those slides I'm not showing you here. But long story short, when people go, well, why do they hate us? You've got to understand the mental map. And if this is from the Almighty, you don't have an option to go, oh, I'm not going to do those 109 verses. Yeah, you are. But this man is a game changer. His name is Syed Qutb. In the 1940s, this Egyptian cleric came to the United States and he was absolutely appalled at American culture. It's obviously not an Islamic country, but America, so materialistic, so sensual, the way your men and women interact, your movies, your, your culture. So he writes milestones, he writes social justice in, in, in Islam, he eventually is so radical, the Egyptian government, that he is, he's a member of, of, of Egypt, uh, a, a, a citizen of Egypt. He's arrested by the Egyptians and they kill him, he's so radical. But he's the inspiration for the modern day jihadists. And so whether it's the combination of the Quran and his writings, or the combination of the Quran, Syed Qutbs, and other Islamists who have come after him, there are people who have said, this is what Allah wants. So after him, as he's executed in the late 40s, eventually you start hearing people talking about America is the great Satan, Israel is the little Satan. If we're gonna carry out Allah's will, we must destroy death to America, death to America, then we'll be able to make a global Islamic state, and then we can have what Allah wants, everyone converted, right? Qutb asserted that mankind will never find salvation in man-made laws. You're looking to the wrong authority. The authority is Allah, all right? Salvation can only be achieved by replacing man-made laws and institution with Allah's. Don't read the triune God there. Read Allah's rule alone. Mankind must adopt Islamic law in total, give up notions which derive its authority from people rather than God. When al-Baghdadi was alive and he was heading up ISIS, there were people who said, well, why don't we negotiate with al-Baghdadi and ISIS? And it was one of these moments where they go, you don't understand the worldview. You've got to read this book and you've got to understand the writings of Sayyid Qutb, who's the inspiration for the modern day jihadist. For al-Baghdadi and ISIS to sit at a table with United Nations representatives, United Nations Security Council, whoever, United States, uh, Egypt, and, and some other countries, would be to say, okay, we're going to put Allah's authority and United States authority and Russia's authority and China's authority all at the same place. No. The, the modern-day jihadist goes, no, there is Allah's will. End of story. There is no negotiation. This is what we do. So when people don't understand the mental map, they go, well, 
we could just, we can figure this out. We can negotiate. No, it's not open to negotiation. This is what Allah wants us to do. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Muslim Brotherhood. All right, so there are groups like this out there, and so probably the most familiar one, Muslim Brotherhood, engaged in, quote, a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying Western civilization from within by sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of believers so that it's eliminated and Allah's religion is made victorious over all other religions. Uh, there are textbooks in Muslim countries that are teaching kids this. This is the end game. Allah's religion, victorious over all these others. What's taught is, we're all born in submission to Allah, all right, because that's what Islam means, it means submission. So we're all born in submission to Allah, and then we got sidetracked with all these fa false teachings. Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, Satanism, you name it. The prophets have been calling us back it starts with Adam, and then there's David, or Dawood, and there's Musa, or Moses, and there's Suleiman, or Solomon, and there's Jesus, or Isa, and eventually there was Muhammad, the last one. They've been calling us back to be in submission to Allah. There's this sixth pillar where there are a minority of Muslims, 10 to 15%, who go, and now this is what Allah is calling us to do, jihad. And we can kill in the name of Allah. Why? To bring about what people are not doing on their own. That's converting, following him. What's fascinating in Islam is everyone goes to hell. Whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, or atheist. There's seven levels. First level is for Muslims. Second, letter, uh, second level is for Jews and Christians. In the Quran, you'll find references to us as people of the book. Jews and Christians, you're people of the book. And what's fascinating is you'll, you'll hear contradictions. People of the book, we believe the same thing. And then you'll hear in another passage, kill those people who don't believe the same thing as we do. And that includes people of the book. And you go, wait a minute, that's a contradiction. So what's fascinating is, okay, everybody goes to hell. And if Allah wills, he will pull you out of hell, Muslim, if you did the five pillars. No Muslim is assured of salvation. So when you talk about witnessing, you can open up God's inspired and errant word and point out, I know by the grace of God where I'm going to go. And I'm going to heaven. It's by grace I'm saved through faith, and it's not by works so no one can boast. This is assured. You can point them to passages and talk about you can be certain. In Islam, no one's certain that they're going to go to, to heaven, to paradise. If Allah wills, he'll pull you out, even if you did the five pillars, right? If you die, though, in jihad, the sixth pillar that automatically launches you to paradise, you will not go to hell. And so this is important to understand because when people go, why would someone strap bombs to themselves, walk into a crowded marketplace and blow themselves up. One, they're carrying out Allah's will of jihad. There's 109 verses to back it up. And two, they automatically bypass hell, first level, go right into paradise. To understand that's huge. Why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? You've got to understand the mental map. You've got to understand the motivation. Part of that is starting at the end. What's the end game? If we frighten people with terror, they will convert. 
And so when, when, when he was alive, um, Osama bin Laden said this clearly, this will stop when you change. And so the idea of, oh, okay, I'll just give up my faith and follow you. So by coercion, that's the idea. You will co be coerced into following, because if not, we'll kill you. Does every Muslim subscribe to that? No. But there are 10 to 15% who do. And out of 1.8 billion, 180 million people, that's what people have to grasp. Starting at the end is important. Let's take a look at New Age, a different worldview. Let's stretch, let's take a two minute break and stretch right through a lot of stuff at you. Stretch two minutes here and we'll finish out tonight with New Age. And we're coming back in five, four, three, two, one. I need some countdown clock. Wouldn't that be good, all right? So we're gonna take a look at New Age next. Now this worldview is popular, but not in a numerical sense, all right? So again, seven billion people on the planet, over two billion are Christian, little less than two billion are Muslim. So it's important just to understand the religion because of the sheer number. When it comes to New Age, or what some people call, call cosmic humanist beliefs, this is not popular in the sense of sheer number or volume of people, but it's popular in the sense of these concepts have embedded themselves in the Western culture. We see them all the time in cartoons, in movies, in the popular culture that you and I digest. And that's why a lot of times, like a sponge, we just soak stuff up and we don't think critically. First Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. That's hard to do, test everything? Yeah, I gotta test everything with scripture, right? Is that what God's desire is, what his will is, what the truth is? If it is, you go, okay. But if not, you go, well, that's not what I believe, all right? Here's an example. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Name the movie. Lion King, all right. What happens to Simba's dad? He dies. Remember when Simba is hanging out with those two goofballs and that monkey shows him in the water, look hard. Do you remember what he sees? He sees his dad's reflection. And then in the clouds, it's Mufasa. Remember. That's about as good a James Earl Jones as I can do. That's it. Don't ask for more. Remember. Father, don't leave me. And that vision of his father back from the dead changes that lion's life. And he saves the day. Now I've got to let the inner geek out. Who's Luke Skywalker's dad? Darth Vader. Darth Vader. But who tutors Luke Skywalker to learn the ways of the Force? Obi-Wan Kenobi? How many of you said Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, that's it. Geeks unite. All right. Now, if you recall in episode four, A New Hope, Obi-Wan lowers his lightsaber and, and Darth Vader cuts him down and kills him on the deck of the Death Star. 
No, Luke is all upset and they get away in the Millennium Falcon and it ends up that Luke Skywalker shoots his plasma bombs at the Death Star because Obi-Wan, though he's dead, guides him. Luke, trust your feelings. Luke, you've turned off your scanning computer. What are you doing? Trust your feelings, Luke. Obi-Wan's dead, but he's communicating with him and he's telling him what to do and he does it. Oh, that shot was one in a million, kid. Good job. Let's get out of here. The, star, the Death Star's going to explode. Kaboom. What's the takeaway? Luke Skywalker and Simba are very similar. Their mentors die, but they come back from the dead and guide and show them the way to go. What's really weird is James Earl Jones does the voice of Darth Vader. So he's Mufasa and Darth Vader. Man, that guy's talented. Anyway, why do I tell you that? There's this fascinating component to New Age beliefs. New Age beliefs are very varied, but there's some things that you got to grasp. First off, what's the starting assumption? Everything's God. The pew you're sitting on is God. The air you're breathing is God. I'm God. The person next to you is God. Everything's God. Pan is all. Theos, God. Everything's God. So this is a fascinating belief because now what do you got? Well, there's not a transcendent being. God. Allah. Everything's God. On the screen, do you see the ocean there? One New Age writer says it like this. Imagine you go up to the ocean. You have a cup. You reach down, get a scoop of the ocean. You have ocean in that cup. Is it all of the ocean? No, nope. but that's ocean. And that's the analogy that's used. If everything's God, you're a scoop of God. 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 So we got 100 scoops of God here. And we need to recognize that. And once you get rid of that old Sunday school lie that you were taught that there's a God up in heaven separate from his creation, once you grasp the truth claims of New Age that everything is God and you're just a scoop of God like everybody else is a scoop of God, things are going to change. And they're going to change for the better. Because reality is not supernatural and natural. Everything is Supernatural and natural combined, or what some call non-naturalism, all right? In Star Wars, what is it that binds everything together? The Force, right? So what's the Force? Well, ah, okay, who could explain it? But if you think of that concept now in New Age, well, what do you got? You got atoms and molecules, but there's a spiritual component to everything. And so the, the, the teaching is it's non-natural. Is it just atoms and molecules? No. Is it supernatural? Well, not in the sense that it's separate from the natural world. Everything is imbued with that. The ethics are moral relativism. There's no God, triune in Christianity, Allah and Islam, that's setting up how you should live. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. So in the end, what you and I have to do as scoops of God is figure out what's the right thing to do and keep other people in mind because they're manifestations of God also. In the end, we're going to take the next step in human evolution. And it's not because 
we're, we're evolving taller, bigger, stronger. It's spiritually we're taking the next step. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planets and love will steer the stars. This is the dawning of the... Pastor, I'm sorry for that display of just bad dancing. And just, uh, okay. So how many of you recognize the song? There you go, all right, okay. So now you're gonna have it in your head the rest of the night. You wake up screaming at 3 a.m. <laughs> but listen to those lyrics. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planets and love will steer the stars. We're entering into a new age. It's an evolution, but not on a physical level, because we've done that three billion years ago. From goo to you, via the zoo, here we are. But now we're going to take the next step. And now we're going to be these spirit beings. Oh, all right. So let's understand the end game, what's going to take place. Our next step is not going to be a physical evolution where, again, we're bigger, faster, stronger. We understand who we are, that everybody's a scoop of God. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about, right? Shirley MacLaine, she's an, a tremendous actress, Academy Award winning actress and the like. Uh, Out on a Limb, anybody know what I'm talking about? Out on a Limb? Okay, some of you do. So you can read her book, Out on a Limb, or you can watch the movie. If you do this, go to YouTube and just type in uh, Out on a Limb, I Am God. You don't have to watch her whole movie, Out on a Limb. Just watch this scene, it'll be about five minutes long. She's on a beach in front of the ocean. It's not a coincidence. And her guru, her teacher, is sitting there, and this guy named David says, okay, I'm gonna give you some exercises now so you can understand the truth. And he starts telling her to do this, do that, and he goes, okay, here's what I want you to do. Stand up, look out at the ocean, hold out your arms and say, I'm God. And she goes, oh, David, I can't do that. And he goes, see how little you think of yourself? So he, they stare at each other. And he says, I'm God. And she goes, I am God. And then they turn, they face the ocean as the waves crash on the shore. I am God. I am God. I am God. You cannot see any more clear blasphemy than that. But notice what the worldview assumption is. God is not transcendent and separate. Everything's God. Well, I'm a scoop of God. I'm a scoop of the ocean. So here I stand at the ocean. So it's brilliant filmmaking. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. And once you get that, oh, that's a game changer. Once everybody in this room understands that, when everybody in the world understands that, it's a game changer. Because what's going to happen? You're going to start treating God, the God next to you, the person next to you, with much more dignity and respect, will share and share alike. Poverty is going to disappear. Again, we're just going to do the right thing because we're going to look at each person as a manifestation of God. Our lives are going to change because we've got this new way of thinking. All right? What's fascinating in this worldview is government will fade away. 
What's fascinating is there's no country that's ever done this. There's always somebody in control. It goes back to Romans 13. The government's there to keep order, <laughs> to condone what's good and condemn what's evil. There's always a need for order. We're sinful people, but Christianity is the only one who goes, we're naughty by nature, we're sinful, we're fallen people. Every other worldview goes, we're basically good. And so this teaches, once everybody realizes, because we're good, that we're all manifestations of God, we're all scoops of God, we'll start doing the right thing, and we won't need the police, we won't need judges, we won't need uh, uh, jails, because we're just going to do the right thing. It'll happen. Won't there be anarchy? Won't there just be people running crazy in the streets? No, not at all. Because again, we're going to take that next step in evolution. We're going to need a teacher, though, maybe to help us get there. So spirit guides are part of this. Notice Jesus' position in this painting. Jesus is in a very interesting position, all right? He's kind of sitting there, almost in a lotus position from Eastern religions. And notice where he's seated. It's like out in the Himalayas or something. You'll find New Agers who teach this. Jesus of Nazareth actually left the Middle East and went to the Himalayas and learned these concepts from New Age teachers and then came back to Israel and started his preaching ministry. And you go, well, where did I miss that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? <laughs> I must have been asleep in Sunday school on that day. So again, not in Scripture, but what, what some New Agers will do is take Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad and reshape them in the way they want them to be. What some believe is this, there are spirit guides among us, humans who've died, who've taken the next step in evolution, and are spiritually able to contact you, bring you information, stuff you need. So when you go back and watch Lion King, and you'll st if, you, if you keep your eyes open, you'll see this in a lot of movies, a spirit comes back, some ancestor, some family member comes back from the dead, and starts telling somebody in the movie, this is what you ought to do. It's the same thing in, in Star Wars. What happens? Obi-Wan's dead, but he keeps showing up. If you keep watching the movies, Empire Strikes Back, number five is the best one, by the way. Anyway, Obi-Wan shows up on, on these planets where Luke is, telling him what to do. Spirit guides. So what happens? They're guiding you so you can take the next step, evolve spiritually into a god. There's two ranks, the varsity and the JV. The JV is the lower rank. They're spirit guides or custodians of the plan, all right? The varsity, the upper rank, that's Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad. These guys took it to a different level. Now, again, if you bring in a Muslim and you go, so is Muhammad an ascended master? They go, what? Muhammad's a prophet, the final prophet of Allah. So Buddhists go, no, Buddha was a teacher, all right? Now some believe Buddha was a god, so that's an interesting contradiction. Some say he's just a man, some say he's a god, that's a different issue, right? But bottom line is they go, no. New Age is, is, is taking Eastern religions and, and repackaging it and, and, and making uh, even other religions or, and their, their main players into what they want. And that's people who have taken the next step in evolution who could guide you. What's fascinating is, how do you get these messages? So you watch Lion King and Simba or Mufasa appears. You watch Star Wars and Obi-Wan is just there, all right? 
What's taught in New Age uh, concepts is, hey, you can contact spirit guides by doing any number of these things you see on the screen. Now, when you read Deuteronomy 18, God prohibits all of those occultic activities. God goes, you do not hold seances, try to contact the dead. You do not practice divination. You do not practice sorcery, cast spells, etc., etc. So Deuteronomy 18 is this wonderful section that goes, do not do these things. Why? They're doorways to the demonic. Instead of this, well, everything's God. Everything's a manifestation of God. God goes, child, there's a natural and a supernatural realm. You live in a natural realm with atoms and molecules, but there's a supernatural realm as well. There's angels and demons. Why do I tell you in Deuteronomy 18, do not do these things? Why? You're opening a doorway to the demonic. And that's why we're called to repent of those things. I, I am not doing that. I'm not playing with a Ouija board. I'm not doing a seance. I'm not doing this, that, or the other thing. But you're taught to tap into these things so you can get messages. Maybe they're from a loved one who died who became a spirit guide. JV level granted, but at least they took the next step and now they can help you take the next step. Last point. There are some New Agers who teach we're gonna need a jump start. We're gonna need someone to kick us in the fanny and get going with this evolutionary step. And so some world teacher is gonna come along and say, I've done it and you can do it too. Maitreya is a fascinating person. Some people have wondered, is he the world teacher who's gonna help us understand what we're capable of? I read one explanation of what Maitreya may, may be able to do in the future and that's this. Communicate telepathically with all seven billion people at once. You will have in your mind's eye a vision of a man, his name is Maitreya, speaking to you. His lips will not move, but you will understand what he is saying. And he has taken the next step in human evolution. He is now able to do God-like things, and he's trying to communicate with everyone. We are all capable of so much more. If you would just get rid of that old Sunday school notion, there's a transcendent God, and you're just a human being. Everything's God. You're a scoop of the divine. You have God within you. When people go, really? This is nuts, this is crazy? Dr. Helen Shuckman, professor at Columbia University, she said in the 1970s, she had a message from Jesus. Jesus' message was this. This is a course in miracles, write this down. So this woman, Dr. Helen Shuckman at Columbia, wrote down these messages. There's 360 of them. It's called A Course in Miracles. You can look it up online if you'd like to. You can see all the lessons from Jesus who taught Dr. Shuckman some of these principles. There is no sin. You are your own Savior. When you read 1 Timothy 1, it says this. There will come deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. When God goes, child, there is a natural and a supernatural realm, and there are lying spirits, there are demonic spirits, that's why you do not do occultic activities. You have to understand, well, what's going on? God goes, I'll, I'll explain what's going on. I, show, I tell you in my word. Yeah, there's a spiritual force out there, but it's not helping you become a God. It's demonic to get you away from the one true God. The end game, though, is we're going to have peace on earth. And love will steer the stars once we and I, you and I understand who we are. We're just scoops of the divine. 
It's seven o'clock and we gotta go. Let me throw it up to questions real quick. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Next week again, we're looking at Marxism and, and hum secular humanism. Go. New Age. So New Age really starts taking off 1960s. And so people start to repackage Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and kind of recraft it and reshape it. And you start to see that stuff being taught big time. So the, the New Age starts to take off 1960s on. What else? Go. Correct. For some, they'll say we can, to carry out Allah's will, deceive people, and so uh, that, would, that would be fine. But for others, like al-Baghdadi and ISIS, the idea of coming to the negotiating table would then say, you have authority and you're on equal footing with Allah. And that's why there's some Muslims go, no, there's, there's nothing to negotiate. We, we know exactly what his will is. What else? Go. Yeah, and what will happen is the idea of, well, see, all the, the great teachers have taught this and understood this, all right? And the whole concept of it's faith, Jesus points out, it's faith. And so in New Age, it's, well, I'm not looking on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm realizing who I am, a scoop of the divine, all right? But you're right, this idea of, hey, you're capable of great things, but they point, it's not because of what God can do through you, it's because you are God, you're part of God. What else? Go. It's just so I heard you. So, so the moderate Muslim you said who, who, who subscribes to five pillars, right? What's their prospect of heaven? Just like anybody, what scripture points out is if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved, right? But if you don't, but I'm a good person. It doesn't matter how good you are, you gotta be perfect. So if I reject Christ as Savior, I'll be lost. So, correct, so, so Muslims, to understand what, what, they're, what they're believing is, if I do these five things and if Allah wills, he'll pull me into heaven. And what scripture is teaching is no, no, no. If you don't have Jesus, you're going to be lost. And you can do your five pillars, and that's not going to save you. You need Jesus. And so here's a, here's a great way to witness. I got a, a friend at Concordia University in Irvine, California, Dr. Adam Francisco, and he says it like this. I develop relationships with Muslims. We might have things in common. It could be scuba diving, history, military stuff, whatever. Conversation, conversation, conversation. Eventually religion will come up. He just does it like this. Have you ever read the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Bible. What he's found is his Muslim friends have, will say no. And then they'll say, well, have you ever read the Quran? And he says, yeah, I've read the Quran. He'll he says this, just do me a favor. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and let me know what you think. He says, it's amazing how God the Holy Spirit 
brings this image of God that they've never heard of and the parts of Jesus that this does not talk about. You're not just a prophet, you're God, the Son of God. And so it's a wonderful way to witness. Go. Yeah, what if you don't do the five? Then. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry if I didn't understand. Yeah, you got to do the five things to qualify. So if, so if a, a Muslim doesn't do the, uh, the praying five times a day, now their salvation's in jeopardy. What's that? If they don't do the sixth, again, nobody's guaranteed. It's, it's submission to Allah. So if you did the five, you go to hell, and if Allah wills, he pulls you out. But if he doesn't, that's Allah's will. The, the sixth, though, guarantees you go straight to paradise. You're never going to go to hell. And that's why you could find recruits who'd say, would you like to, one, help advance Islam on planet Earth, and two, go straight to heaven? And that's the recruiting uh, uh, carrot. Yeah, so it's, it's the 109 verses where they go, what, what don't we understand here? So when you read Sayyid Qutb and those who have followed after him, they're saying, you Muslims. And so you'll find Muslims attacking other Muslims, saying, you're not true. You're not keeping what Allah wants. We have to do this. So when people go, well, they're just attacking the United States. No, they're not. Look at jihad across the planet. It's worldwide. And it's sometimes Muslims attacking other Muslims. You're not Muslim enough. You're not doing it according to the book. Go. Yes. Yes. And the miracle is that this illiterate man could write it. Go. No, Muhammad was not sure himself. So again, nobody's guaranteed unless you do the jihad thing. Go. I've seen estimates 1.8 billion. I've seen people saying by 2050 it'll be 2 billion. Uh, and by X year it'll bypass Christianity. But who can say? Yeah, what's fascinating in Europe is uh, you'll, you'll hear cities talking about um, someday we'll, this, this city will be called Lundestan, and it will have a majority Muslim population. Why? Just simple numbers. We'll, we'll outpopulate you, and we'll change the laws. It'll happen. It's just a matter of time. So a lot of Western countries are having that problem. So let's, let's abort our children. Okay, you're not only killing against God's will, you're also dooming your civilization because you need at least two children to continue that. And there's other uh, religions like this one where they go, we're not going to kill our children. So you'd go, wow, we're, we're on board with that moral absolute, but we will just simply outpopulate you and then just take over. And we didn't do it by, by military conquest. We just did it because we outvoted you, because we outnumbered you. Go.
Yeah. So if you go back 600, ballpark figure, 600 AD, Muhammad believes that this country he's in, uh, Saudi Arabia, is so corrupt, and there's 360-some gods. We're pitching them all because now I know there's only one god, Allah. He was the moon god, but now it's just the one god, all right? And so we're going to clean up religion here, one god, and we want everyone to follow us. In the first 10 years, he doesn't have a huge, massive following. It's about 100 people. And then after 10 years, then there's a shift in the approach, and now the military conquests begin. And so what starts as a peaceful religion, hey, let's reform, let's change, let's make this better, the lives, the morality, the religion, we just have one God. That doesn't catch on. But then by the sword, the, 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 the wars start, the attacks start, the control starts, then all of a sudden it starts to grow. And so that's part of the history. And so you can understand why today some Muslims go, well, that's 600 AD and those 109 verses. That's what they did back then. But we don't do that. And there's some Muslims who go, that's Allah's will. Muhammad did it. We need to do it too. Yeah, what you, what you got is, yeah, so the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, but if you just go, well, I'm just going to read the Old Testament, and God is God, but Jesus is not God, and I don't believe in God, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and um, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, that'll be the response. See? He's just one, and you go, yes, there's one God. We don't believe in three gods, we believe in one God three persons. So you take them back to Genesis. Let us make man in our image. Why is that plural? Oh, it's the Trinity. It's a holy huddle. <laughs> Let's make man in our image. Ready? Break. <laughs> and so that's what's going on. And what's fascinating is you're almost there. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Okay? We're going to hear about those messianic prophecy about the Messiah, how he's going to suffer be wounded for our transgressions. So it's going to talk about a man, a person. What's fascinating is not, today you'll have rabbis who go, let's not talk about Messiah, let's talk about the nation of Israel. And so you're, you're there, you're almost there. God, the Holy Spirit, open the eyes, open the eyes, all right? Anybody who doesn't know Christ is Lord. What else? Go. For, for what, what's the appeal to what? For Islam? 
Yeah, Islam's appeal and growth is by coercion, <laughs> it's by force. So when people go, yeah, it's growing, it's the fastest growing religion on the planet, by force. <laughs> That's why people go, so you don't have a choice? Well, no, I don't want my house blown up, I don't want to be killed. And so, is anyone familiar with Voice of the Martyrs? Voice of the Martyrs, right? So Voice of the Martyrs has a wonderful ministry to the persecuted church. And every month their magazine points out, here's what's going on around the planet where you and I live in the peace and security of a nation with freedom of religion, there are other people that do not. And that's what you'll find when when you've got this idea that you cannot follow another religion other than this. And now we're going to convert, or we're going to kidnap these kids, right? Boko Haram. And we're going to kidnap these girls, and we're going to marry them off to men, and we're going to convert people. And it's, yeah, it's, it's by force. But for some, the appeal is the structure... I can check off, right? And so I'm going to discipline my life. I'm going to live by the book. And then maybe, just maybe, Allah's going to take me out. Out of hell into paradise. What else? Go. Yeah, so you got Sunni and Shia Muslims, and there's your two big branches, if you will, in Islam. And so you've got ones who go, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the prophet, all right? And then this other branch that goes, and Ali, Muhammad's son, is also a prophet. And, and there are Muslims who go, no! <laughs> and so you... That's, that's the major split. Now, again, it, if, we, if we'd study it, we could, we could talk about Twelvers and these people who believe in there's 12 imams. So al-Baghdadi was, I believe, the eighth imam. And so 9, 10, 11, 12, and then it'll be the end of the world. And so the Twelvers are this other branch. And so there's all these different sects and, and groups in Islam, but those are the, the two main things. And you're right, they've been at war with each other, okay? Well, there it is. Thank you so much for being here. Let's pray and then we'll head out. Next week is Marxism and Secular Humanism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that we know what's going on in our world and that we'd be able to talk about what you've done in our lives. In the midst of our sin, you've saved us. Lord, help us never to be ashamed of you. You are not ashamed of us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us. Open our mouths when we have these opportunities. We pray for a safe trip home, a good night's sleep, and another day to serve you tomorrow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.